Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, hello, hello. I'm your barely clad hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to. Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Hey there and welcome back folks Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostest Munoz And how you all doing? Oh my god, summer feels like it's here in New York City And I am ready You know what? I, I saw this thing on the internet I am vaxxed, I am waxed, and ready to be sexed There's a good there's a ghost in the studio, folks, and I can't. And I'm just going to cut to the chase because I have been after this man for so long. And you know what I I say all the time on this podcast. It's right time, right place, and things happen for a reason. And today I am so excited to have him here. I mean, I am jumping out of my skin. So please help me welcome the one, the only, the bare naked chef himself, Adrian Deberadiniz. Say wow. hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. What an introduction. Wow, that, that was, um, I, did not ex- I did not expect that. And I'm, I'm flattered that you uh, have been sort of trying to seek me out for so long. I, I, had I known, I would have uh, flown up to New York on a, on a Concord and then come on to the- your studio. <laughs> not the Concord. You know we are men of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> Especially old gay men of a certain age, if we're hey, referencing the Concord. I'm trying to make a Concord comeback, okay? So, yeah. we're not talking grapes. Yes. Listen, I don't have a man that I know of that would take a Concord to see me. So, <laughs> I accept. I accept. In your mouth, listeners, I am sure you know who Adrian is, or AKA the Bare Naked Chef. Um, but if you. Do not please get to the Instagram at the Bare Naked Chef and see all the all the boobs, all the all the skin, and all the cooking at the same time. But if you don't know, Adrian has been cooking since the ripe age of eight. But you may know him, obviously, from his very successful internet presence, or perhaps you may know him from season eleven of the Real Housewives of New York City, cooking at Bluestone Manor, and my for my favorite, uh, Bethany and one Dorinda Medley. Or what a trip. 
Yeah, right? Um, we, we're going to get into it for sure. Or then as a guest bartender on Watch What Happens Live. Or maybe you know him as one of the chefs that went on tour with Michelle Obama during her book tour for Becoming. He also has cooked for the likes of Angela Bassett, Demi Lovato, Sofia Vergara, and Joe Manganiello. Oh, God, just to drop a few names here, folks. Mm. What you may not know is that he launched his career right here in New York City at two of, like, New York's, you know, most famous, like, go-to restaurants. One is Cafeteria, and the other is Frank. But, Adrian, before we get anywhere, in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Blueberry Pie Day! You know, I'm drinking a blueberry smoothie right now in, in honor. Um, <clears throat> it's not a pie, because i got to keep this uh, this body tight, but... Um, for 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 the internet, at least. <laughs> for the internet. Yeah. But uh, cheers to that. Cheers, cheers to that. To, <clears throat> cheers to blueberry pie. Are you a big baker as well? You know, I I started out uh, when I was a kid, really interested in baking, and I, my mom bought me this like kids baking cookbook at a garage sale once. So that's really I think how I got into cooking. Um, but I grew up in restaurants. My family had restaurants and pizzerias, Italian restaurants. Surprise, surprise. So, um, I mean, blueberry type. pie, pizza pie. What's the there difference? You really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, swap the tomato sauce for some blueberry jam, right? I know. Um, I, I, blueberry is actually one of my favorite pies, to be honest with you. Um, is so, it, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, like for, now, here's a question for you. Like, because some people really love the, like, processed gelatinousness is this his of it of it all like uh-huh. like an entomans or a um Mrs. or a Smith's. hostess or or mrs smith's right yeah. um yeah. or the, those hostess remember like growing up oh those, yeah like those, those hand square pies. the hand pies yeah um yeah. or are you like fresh farm fresh farm to table kind of gal here I, you know what, I'm not mad at processed um pie fillings to be honest with you because it does make your job a lot easier. I mean, there's, it's hard to find things like cherry, like cherries, fresh cherries to make into a cherry pie. So like they put cherry, you know, cherry, cherries in a can for that purpose. Um, Blueberries is a little bit uh, easier because you can use fresh blueberries or even frozen blueberries. Can't really find cherry, frozen cherries. It's hard to find, but um, you know, I always mix, you know, some jam in with my, um, my pie filling, so it's uh, it's you know it's always you're always going to get a little bit of uh, gelatinousness in there. Um, yeah, for sure, and I love that little uh, tip, y'all. Um, get into the tip of it all, or just the tip. And I love that you also brought us to a place of finding our cherries uh, because I haven't seen my. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking real, real hard. <laughs> God. Well, you know what? No matter what you celebrate on this beautiful New York City, or you're in Fort Lauderdale, right? I am actually, I'm in Palm Beach. Yeah. Oh, I, you're, I, um, oh you're in Palm Beach. West Palm Beach. Yeah, West Palm Beach. But uh, oh, yeah. It's, or it's, West it's, Palm Beach. That's a, that's a Luann thing, too. That's a very <laughs> New York Speaking house. Speaking of which, I, uh, I had a little chat with Tinsley Mortimer uh, yesterday on Instagram. I'll tell you about it later. Oh, but. my God. Amazing. Well, no matter what you're celebrating today, whether it's the nice weather, blueberry pie, or just the, the beautiful man that is Adrian, happy oh. National Blueberry Pie Day to you. And, Adrian, did you know that in 1981... 
On this day in gay history, former, former Beverly Hills hairdresser Marilyn Barnett files a multi-million dollar palimony suit against tennis pro Billie Jean King, claiming that the two had a lesbian relationship for seven years and really? that she is therefore entitled to the tennis star's Malibu beach house as well as half of King's earnings from the period when they were together. That's really interesting. I had no idea. I don't know a lot about Billie Jean King, but that definitely piques my interest. And how does a hairdresser have entitlement to a, a property? That's what I want to know. I guess because well, they're in a relationship. They're in but a seven-year relationship. But, they weren't and so married. They weren't, but there's common law marriage common of, law, it all, right, right. of it all. Um, and I mean, I don't know the California, I should have looked that up, California common law marriage things. Because I know common yeah. law marriage here in New York is really iffy and not iffy. A thing where you know? I grew up, um, I remember because I learned about common uh, common law marriage because my some neighbors of mine were an unwed couple, and I remember my mother explaining to me that they're in common law marriage. That and I was like, "What's common law marriage?" And so she explained the whole deal with me. But Canada, in Canada, it's I think uh, universally it's it's like a really kind of easy trap to fall into. Wow. Wow. Look at that. Um, well, I mean, I also fell down. I don't know much about Billie Jean King either. And I fell down a little bit of a hole here just because, you know, the sports of it all. And at the time she was like, I'm not, she was claiming she wasn't a lesbian. She was married to Larry King, not the Larry King. He was a different mm -hmm. Larry King and um, this whole thing. And then later on, she left Larry King for another woman. So there's a movie out there about it too. There's a docu-pick with um, <clears throat> the redhead from uh, The Help. What's her name? Um, I'm so bad with names sometimes. Yeah. You know I'm what not, I'm talking about? I'm not good at this game. <clears throat> Anyhow, I'm the, she, she, the okay. worst at this like yeah. movie trivia game. <laughs> That was like the first really uh, kind of exposure I had to Billie Jean King. And it was uh, it was really actually a well-done movie. But uh, I don't remember. I know she was in a couple long-term relationships, but I don't remember the hairdresser. The, the hairdresser but I just, maybe just I'm sort of drawing a blank because it I wasn't like on well, my radar. It, but. It, it was an interesting day in gay history, right? Uh, in 1981, the year of my birth. Um, Happy and, birthday. Well, yeah, <laughs> I just turned 40. Look at that. Look Did at you the really? skin. Yeah. Not a day over 32, I would have to say. Yeah. There's no, no special lighting in that studio either, is it? No, no, nothing <laughs> at all. There, I can show you. Um, I believe a, you. It's a mess. But <laughs> I'll take it. I keep talk, I'll keep take talking to me like it. this. I'm coming out to Palm Beach in a minute. <laughs> well, you've got that that gorgeous uh, you know, Latin skin that doesn't, doesn't uh, crinkle, wrinkle, or fade. So. Yes, listen, beige don't age. And once again, like <laughs> now, now my seat is moist. <laughs> so we're just going to get to the getting on and start where I always love to start at the beginning. So you were you started cooking at a very young age. Where did this love of cooking come from? Well, like I said, you know, my family had restaurants growing up. My parents were foodies. Um, my grandmother was, in, it was an incredible cook, home cook. Um, and really, I think instilled in you know my dad's generation of how the importance of good food, you know, cooking with seasonal fresh ingredients, cooking um, you know sustainably, that kind of thing, all kind of tied into our lifestyle growing up. And then um, with the you know the ownership of restaurants, 
Of course, every single one of us had to work in them starting at a young age. So, you know, we developed a love and passion and respect for food at uh, a really young age, me and my brothers and my all my cousins. So you were just, you know, rolling out pizza dough at age eight. Like, what was your job? Pretty much. I mean, you know, really? we were all, well, we were like all eager to like make some coins. So, you know, we, my dad was like, well, go work in the, you know, go work in the pizzeria. So, I mean, actually, I think my first job was working like the, soda fountain and like the cash register. So it was like taking people's money and, you know, standing on a milk crate and like, you know, uh, working that station. But uh, yeah, eventually you, you kind of worked your way into the kitchen and we're flipping pizzas and, uh, and then, you know, all the other um, kind of uh, dishes that we served there. So we really got to kind of get a full scope of how it works in like a fast casual dining kitchen. Um, at a young age, yeah. So, yeah. do you think that happens? I uh, this just sparked like a thought in my head hearing you talk about this because I remember I started working at age fifteen. I had to get working papers from my high school because I wasn't really? six. Yeah, I wasn't sixteen yet. Um, mm. And so, at age fifteen, I had to, you know, go into the dean's office or whatnot, and apply through the state or whatnot, and get working papers. And my first mm-hmm. job was a runner at the brokerage at a brokerage firm so i would run from the brokerage firm on madison avenue and 55th to the floor of the stock exchange really back and forth and that was before the computers and whatnot so there was like papers right. and before 911 yeah Did the tubes, like vacuum yeah, tubes the vacuum tubes before 911 right where like i i would go through like a metal detector but like they knew me after a while and i would just walk in and out and wow. And things like that. And like, wow. I was just thinking about like the work ethic of children these days and how like the world has changed. And like, if that even what still happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a shame. No, it's a shame. I mean, you know, I, we were all, you know, everybody had paper route, paper routes. People don't, people don't get papers anymore delivered to their door. It's all digital. So, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I think even I took a paper route even before uh, working in food. And that was like sort of a norm in my neighborhood. Yeah, not even, not even like, I guess we had an allowance. We did chores around the house, not for an allowance, just because it's what you did. Like, you yeah. scoured the pots and you cleaned the bathroom and, and, and that's what it is. And so like that, like hustle, even, even to this day, I think it's still, and it's, you can see it in you with how much you work and how many pots you have your hands in, pun intended, and myself too, like, just like, the hustle of continuing like what what's next okay what else can i be doing to keep to keep this going i mean going. i don't know if you remember but we had met at the new york wine and food festival yes 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 that's funny i was just actually talking to somebody about that um that year that experience and actually how much fun my cousin i brought two of my girl cousins i don't know if you remember there were two really pretty girls working behind me okay <clears throat> and um and she actually lives here in Palm Beach. She flew down just so she could be my assistant because she's such a housewives addict. She wanted to to meet Luann. <laughs> so um, <laughs> she was like, I'll do anything. She was like, I'll even like, you know, wash dishes. Just let me uh, let me tag along. But no, she was great. And so, yeah, we were just kind of reminiscing about that. That's funny you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was you. Zach Young was there, who I know. Um, that was, I think that was New York Wine and Food Festival's first drag brunch. First drag brunch, yeah. That first? was two years ago. Two? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, three, maybe. 20, three, 19, three. 18. Yeah, three, three years ago. Three years. Well, okay. 
we, we See, lost I, we lost I, the I year. Feel, I feel like 2020 just didn't happen. Like honestly, yeah. it's it's like completely erased from my memory because there's nothing. There was nothing that that monumental that happened that year except for a pandemic. But that's yeah. I mean, we call it the dark times or the or the before time. <laughs> before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> COVID, BC. There you go. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So you're so you grow up cooking in restaurants and and whatnot, and then you decide to move to New York. Had you gone to culinary school beforehand, or mm-hmm, no. did? Or did you no. just end up in the kitchen at cafeteria, right, serving the girls from Sex in the City? I actually started as a um, as a server at cafeteria. This was post 9-11. I was like, because I had actually, I had, my plan was to go take some courses at Pace University. And I had enrolled, and the class, first day of class was 9-11, 8.30 in the morning. I was supposed to be down um by the World Trade Center that morning. And I actually slept in. <laughs> I'm not proud of, well, I am, I am actually proud of it because I, I escaped that nightmare, but um, I would have been stuck down there that morning. And anyhow, so I was like, I was traumatized. I didn't want to kind of go to go down there and go to class every single day. It completely changed my whole plan, outlook. It just kind of really just turned everything upside down. So I was like, well, I'm going to get a job. And uh, I had, you know, restaurant experience. So I, I went and applied to cafeteria. And of course, the only shifts that were available were the were the uh, the graveyard shifts. So I was working midnight till 8 a.m. for the first like two months I started working there. And then, I, you know, I got friendly with the managers and the staff and I got to know them. And then eventually, you know, they kind of learned that my passion was in the kitchen. So I they started putting me in the line there. Well, it was kind of really started washing dishes and then worked my way up a little bit. I wasn't there that long, um, but uh, I ended up going uh, to the East Village um, to another restaurant there. That was actually... Frank, was that Frank? Or Frank, was that, yeah. Yeah. So Frank yeah. is like a, this little hole in the wall in the East Village, but they have some outlets. I don't know if they all survived uh, the pandemic or not. I know one did like the, I think it's the original one where it's the original one is on second and, uh, second between, uh, eighth and ninth. Is it? Or fifth and sixth. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Something like that. But the, you know, Frank was very successful with that restaurant. I mean, he went off and opened up like four or five, uh, you know, he opened supper. He opened the other one that's on first and first. Yeah. Um, and a couple in in Brooklyn. I mean, and, and then, you know, they had some other employees leave and open up Max, which is a, basically a carbon copy of Frank. But yeah, that in, was your mouth, actually- in your mouth, listeners, one second. I just wanted to explain to the audience who's not here in New York because we're going on Sorry. and on <laughs> as if everyone knows what Frank's is. And it's it's one of these like really low key, like New York staple Italian joints, like almost like a red sauce joint. They serve really authentic fare. It's home cooking. There's nothing like overly pretentious about it or like, you know, these like overly dressed plates. It's like, if you're ordering meatballs, you're getting meatballs. I mean, the the, the tables are covered literally in like plastic. I mean, it was, it was basically the, the, the antithesis of what was happening during the time when it opened. It became this like really chic kind of, well, back then undiscovered um, hotspot in the East Village. You know, East Village was super cool back then. Uh, still, it was like one of the last, you know, neighborhoods in New York to not be Disneyfied, yeah. and um, you know, so Frank was this young—I want to say he's probably in his late twenties, early thirties—this sort of ambitious 
uh, you know, young chef uh, who wanted to just open this like old school grand, like his inspiration was like his nonna, his grandma. And so he opened up uh, Frank and it would be, it was like, there were lines, they were turning people away constantly away from that, that place. I mean, it's small, yeah. but it became a real, a real um, kind of hotspot. And so to work there was like, it was, it was a huge thrill for me because I'm like, here I am. I just, you know, kind of plopped in New York and it's post 9-11. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. And it gave me a little bit of, uh, I don't know, it gives you a little bit of identity, maybe a little bit of uh, sort of purpose. And you kind of feel like you're doing something kind of cool and, and uh, New Yorkish, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know? the, the food is delicious to this day. And the food is great. Yeah, It's so good. I mean, the meatballs are the size of a meatloaf. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm actually, I mean, it's been, I want to say it's been a couple of years since I've eaten there, but I mean, I, even after I left, I, I still continued to, to go there and eat. And the quality of the food just never was changed or compromised, which is really remarkable for a restaurant that's been open that long. You know, we're talking 20 years. Yeah. 20, 21 years it's been open. That, that actually is remarkable because, you know, uh, as kitchen life, as uh, hands change and chefs change and oh, yeah. you know, quality of food. So that's a testament to the owner and like right. the standards of the restaurant as far as, you know, just like quality control. Because I always say uh, this about New York City restaurants. You either have to be really, really good or really bad, like food wise, to make it. You know, it's so like, true. There's you, no you middle ground. <laughs> you can't be like, like, yeah, you can have really terrible food. And for some reason, you will you will have a restaurant forever for some reason. Um, but the, like, the, yeah, there's not there's no in between. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, you know, the survival rate of a restaurant in general is low. I mean, the percentage of you sustaining, uh, you know, business over a year. I'm not even talking COVID. Yeah. Pre-COVID. And to be in New York, you know, you can imagine the concentration uh, and the competition. It's it's even smaller than that. So for a restaurant to succeed in New York, you really have to either have a gimmick, you know, and great PR, or the food has to be absolutely fantastic, you know, or lousy food. And, um, yeah, you know, so Frank was, you know, he was there every single day. I mean, he was definitely a, a restaurant owner chef who was you know, married to his, his, uh, his business. And so the fact that the food really hasn't changed all that much, uh, since he's not really there, you know, he's probably got a handful of other projects going. Yeah. Or like a mansion in Palm beach and he's chilling. Right. Mm, I don't see Frank as a Palm beach guy, maybe Miami South beach for sure. But yeah, there's something like that. But I want to talk about for a quick second, growing, uh, growing up in the kitchen, but growing up gay in the kitchen. Oh, what has that experience been like for you? Because obviously we're on a big gay food podcast here and kitchens mm-hmm. are a hyper masculine space that, you know, are ever changing, especially, during these times what was that experience like for you they are you know um it's such an interesting i've never actually been asked a question that way so it's interesting you have me thinking i mean really when you're in the kitchen you're not even you're sort of on pilot you know autopilot you're just you're you're working really fast and you're just you know kind of trying to get things done there isn't even much room for conversation or, you know, social interaction between your peers, you know, your coworkers. Um, it's, and I, I think food is actually the great sort of leveler. I mean, I think your palate is really what defines you. 
people don't really necessarily care about sexual orientation, even though it is a hetero-dominated field. I have to say, you know, a great impetus of me doing Bare Naked Chef was to give visibility to gay chefs, which I felt like there was a huge lack of and a void in, in the industry. Uh, a lot of the chefs that were represented on television, you know, with the exception of one or two that I can think of, were predominantly really stereotypical macho men, you know, guys like uh, Guy Fieri and uh, Mario Batali and, you know, uh, Emeril Lagasse. I mean, who can identify with that if you're not some, like, truck driver from St. Louis? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I understand that was sort of the mass appeal for them, but there really was no sort of representation of diversity there until they started getting more women. And then, but even still, there isn't an openly gay chef that has a series on chef on Food Network right now. Yeah, I mean, why do you think? Why do you think this podcast exists to give a voice to people like you, like me? right, in the community, right, who are cooking, who are doing amazing things in food, you know? What yeah. was coming out like for you? Very liberating, very liberating. I had a really tough um, closeted uh, childhood. My, you know, my parents at an early age, God bless them, you know, they didn't know any better, but they, they put me in, in reparative therapy at the age of five. So I was going through uh, sort of the psychological process of, you know, turning me back um, for I want to say about 11 years. Um, I had to regularly visit this, psycho, this, this psychiatric hospital and see this doctor who actually, uh, I later found out in life, um, in my 20s around when I came out, is a pariah in the gay community because he fought to keep uh, homosexuality and uh, transgender identity. Uh, identity disorder in the DSM, if you can believe that. For those of you that don't know, the DSM is like the psychological encyclopedia. So it lists mm -hmm. every single mental illness, disorder, what have you. And up until 1976, homosexuality was considered an illness, a mental illness. And they finally removed it. <clears throat> um, and this, forgive my uh, French, but this asshole, uh, this doctor who, treat, who was treating me, uh, or tried to, um, he went to court to battle it and fight to keep it back in. So if you can imagine, you know, me growing up in a very kind of liberal cosmopolitan city such as Toronto, you know, being exposed to many things. My father was also a hairdresser. So, he, you know, I had, you know, gay people uh, kind of in the periphery um, and then and then being confronted with this, um, you know, blaring uh, sort of uh, persecution of, of who I was. So I had to keep it hidden for many, many years. And then, you know, luckily I, I sort of moved far away from my family. I came into myself and then uh, came out when I was about 23 years old uh, in Dallas, Texas. God bless Dallas. Um, you know, I had my first uh, everything there. First few friends, you know, relationships, uh, circuit parties, things like that. Things that, you mm -hmm. know, you get to experience as a, as a gay man. And then um, it really sort of started to unfold <clears throat> from there. <clears throat> and that's when I started, uh, that's when I moved from Dallas back to New York. That's when I, you know, started getting back into food and um, and sort of working in the, in the restaurant circuit. So, um, A, thank you for sharing that. And B... The beauty of this, of what I do, is giving people like you a platform to tell their stories. And I always say, our stories matter. And through this podcast, right now we're, we're over three years in the game here, uh, I'm using the royal we and me, is that I've heard stories of like foster, we've heard good and bad stories is what I'm trying to say here, right? From foster care to the most fabulous like 
mom let me play dress up from a very young age. This is a this is a an in your mouth first of reparative therapy. Um and it's very serious. It's something that still happens out there oh, yeah. in the oh, world. Wow. There are some states, uh, I don't have that information on me, that that's not, um, that's not illegal to do, you know? Yeah. And what was the key to overcoming and coming through then? Forgiveness. Really, forgiveness. Um, forgiveness you know, of yourself or others? Others and myself, really. I mean, uh, you know, I had to, I remember having a, a, a huge confrontation when I moved back from, from Dallas uh, to where my parents were because I didn't have an apartment in New York. So I had to stay with them until I could, uh, you know, afford to move out. But, um, and that was, you know, post me coming out. And uh, I remember having this really, it was almost like a volcano eruption of emotion for me. And being very upfront because they never told me why I was going. The conversation of like, you are different, you need to get help was never even on the table. It was all very hush hush. So, you know, I, I was always told like I was going because there was, I had temper issues. That was where sort of like, but I knew exactly why I was going clearly. But, um, you know, so it was never, it was my family's, you know, very much, uh, they don't, you know, they didn't talk about their feelings. So, this was sort of this backlog of uh, of stuff that had built up over the years, and I I felt the need to express to them what what that experience in how it impacted me, and they just sat there and listened, and they were very apologetic, and they just said we we did what we thought was right, and we didn't want you to suffer, and you know after hearing that and and doing years of therapy uh, after that my on my own accord. I kind of realized, you know, they didn't know any better. Um, they weren't doing it to harm me, but you know, it's their own internalized homophobia that that drove them to that point. And uh, you know, that's not that's not my cross to bear. I think, as an, as my experience, I hope that I maybe change them in some way in looking at the world differently. But I do have to say out there, just to kind of backtrack, you know, the reparative therapy and the conversion therapy thing is a serious, serious problem in, in this country and, and in the world mm-hmm. uh, still. Um, and, you know, a lot of um, a lot of parents and organizations getting, get away with it because they do it in a religious setting. And when it's done in a religious setting, it doesn't have to be documented. There's no, nothing that has to be submitted in terms of, you know, a psychological evaluation or anything like that. It's just priests praying the gay way. And so, you know, it, it has irreparable effects on on young people to the point of where it it drives a large percentage of percentage of us to to take our own lives and that is something that i realized coming out of this that um fortunately i was not that statistic for sure and just and just as a side note if this is you out there there is help out there there are people you can talk to Absolutely. there are people you can reach out to you reach out to there's um the suicide hotline there is also the trans hotline now yes as well uh we've moved forward so much uh in this world although there's still battles to be won but there is help out there and i want to make that absolutely clear absolutely and don't give up don't give up and and don't let anybody um you know sort of kill your your spirit because you are who you are for a reason and that's you know that that is uh, parents don't know what's best for you all the time. 
Exactly. And or, listen, or you are you are you are a testament of beauty and success and coming through of it all, honey. Let me tell you. <laughs> plus, I mean, if they sent if they sent you for temper, there's there is nothing like a gay man <laughs> scorned, honey. <laughs> there you talk go. about that. Talk about that like, gay temper. <laughs> I, I should have shown them like a, a PowerPoint of like how much money they spent and how their money bo- on both counts didn't uh, get their value met. So Exactly, you know. exactly. Before I take you out to one of our favorite uh, part of the pod, um, or my favorite part of the pod, I should say, uh, one quick question. Is everything bigger in Texas? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I moved there and I was like, wow. For that reason? <laughs> I mean, just, you know, the people are bigger in general. They're, you know, all corn-fed farm folk. It's like, you know, I grew up in Toronto. Everybody's like, a, you know, a half-breed of uh, Portuguese and something else. And it's like, you know, there's such a diverse multicultural uh, ethnicity blend in Canada mm-hmm. that everybody kind of looks so exotic, You don't, but you're living in it. And you're not noticing that there's nobody that looks like the people that you see on television. Um, yeah. And then you go down to Texas and it's like everyone's, you know, this like big blonde, uh, you know, blue eyed uh, yeah. farm boys. For it's sure. Kind of, it's kind of fun. <laughs> I bet. Mm-hmm. I have done a, a tour of Texas myself. And with that, I think now is a great time to take Adrian to my favorite part of the pod and your favorite part of the pod. Give us a little break here. To a little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. Food News. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News Update. Kellogg's is releasing a glittery pride-themed cereal in conjunction with Glad. Really? Okay. Yes. Isn't this everything? I mean... <laughs> Interesting. This, uh, this Everyone's is, getting in on the uh, getting in on the pride game, huh? Yeah. Finally. Yes, I mean, and there, we talk about pride baiting uh, from bigger corporations here mm-hmm. all the time, and that's when like corporations just throw a rainbow on it and be like, just for the season, it's like pride, right? And they're not right. really doing anything for the community. But Correct. this is not Kellogg's first time at the rodeo. I found out. So according to Out.com, thank you Out.com. Uh, Kellogg's and Glad have teamed up again to create a rainbow-themed breakfast cereal in honor of Pride Month. They've launched a special Together with Pride cereal filled with rainbow and heart-shaped bites and sprinkled with edible glitter to turn your dull breakfast into some pr- into something more proud and fabulous. Best of all, Kellogg's announced that they will donate portions of their sales from Together with Pride cereal to Glad to help aid in their anti-bullying and LGBTQ plus advocacy efforts. Thank you. That's what I was waiting for. I mean, finally, like you said, you know, it's not just, you know, some sort of uh, pandering to get more business from people. They're actually putting money back in to the cause, which is uh, it's refreshing to hear. Yeah, sure. right? Mm-hmm. That's great. And I mean, who doesn't love some glitter in their cereal? <laughs> I mean, just as long as it's like, you know, been tested by the FDA. And like, I mean, yeah, I mean, edible glitter. Kind of, yeah. And no, then, I mean, I mean, it just makes everything more fabulous. I, are you, are you one of these like glitter hating people? Are you? You know why I hate glitter? Because it reminds me of my early 20s coming home from the club and being covered in it because you everybody back then covered themselves you know at the Roxy like covered themselves in glitter 
And you're finding that shit like in your, you know, <laughs> your like underwear after you've washed it for three times. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. It, it brings back memories of, of, of a night that never ended. <laughs> Let's just oh my say. goodness. I, I, listen, I am a glitter fiend. And at last year during, um, uh, during the height of the pandemic, when, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, and then we did the queer march because uh, Pride was canceled uh, for obvious reasons. Mm. I am a glitter fiend. I love it, and the people around me know I love it. And they saw me with it, and they were like, "Michael," and I said, "Listen, somebody take this away from me. <laughs> Just take it away. Yeah. It's on me. And if you take it away, I can't like get crazy and throw it on people." You yeah. know, halfway through the day, it ended up back on my hand in my hands somehow. Because no one threw it out. Right. And then it ended up everywhere. And I was like, I won't be blamed. I just won't be blamed. I wish, they would, I wish somebody would invent like a biodegradable glitter. That's all. That's all. Well, because does yeah. that exist? Uh, no, it doesn't exist. And I think actually if you research, I think I read this once upon a time, that glitter is actually a problem for like the environment or something. And this with Earth Day that just had passed us, you know? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, I mean, I, I'm like, there's got to be some sort of... Uh, you know, even even in contact with someone's skin, even though they have like edible versions of it, yeah, um, or sort of uh, you know stuff that you can that's sa- skin safe. <laughs> it, it's got to clog pores or something. I don't know. I don't it's know. Just I, love seem, I love it. I love it. I will always love it. I think I will be like eighty six and still and still <laughs> just being like glitter, glitter, glitter. And what, you're going to be what? that guy. Oh yeah, I, I am that guy already. So <laughs> I don't think that's Love going it. anywhere. Oh my god, oh, I think well. we're here for this. So a big shout out to Kellogg's uh, for pairing with Glad. For I, sure. I agree for sure. I'm in, I'm in huge support of that. So Taco Bell will recycle those hot sauce packets for you. Apparently, Taco Bell hot sauce is such a phenomena that. Um, they're starting a recycling program for them. Meaning what? The empty packets or like yeah. the, the unused packets? No, the empty packets. Like, okay. Do you know, do you own a Nespresso machine? Nespresso, not Espresso. You know, I used to. I used to. I don't anymore because of the waste um, and, the, and the cost. Those, those pods were ridiculously expensive. But the waste of those pods, but, I mean. So Nespresso will give you a pre-labeled UPS bag to throw those pods in because they compost they compost the coffee and recycle the aluminum oh, into okay. new things, right? Like that's, okay, that's a big smart. thing for Nisp- that Nespresso brand. Yeah, and so okay. this, um, I think, emulates... Uh, Taco Bell is trying to emulate that program because their hot sauces have such a cult-like following that mm-hmm. there's something like... Um, 8.2 billion Taco Bell sauce packets are used in the U.S. each year. That Whoa. figure exceeds the number of people on Earth, much less the number of Taco oh Bell customers in a country of 329 million people. Even if you presume that half of the United States population is responsible for that level of sauce packet consumption, that's about 50 packets per person annually. Okay, you know, I don't know, but I mean, I don't know how accurate that statistic is, only because I know that I opened my kitchen cupboard and I have a gigantic Ziploc freezer bag full of like ketchup packets and hot sauce packets and stuff from fast food restaurants that I don't want to throw away. 
and I think that I'm going to use one day. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's a lot of sauce. That's a lot of sauce. Why don't they put bottles in their restaurants? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, but people like to, like. It. But it's drunk food. You know, it's drunk yeah. high food. It's late night food. It's it's like delicious, not good for you food, right? <laughs> I mean, it's um, amazing. It's so good. It is so so good. Um, and this is from the Takeout.com. So I uh, this was a press release that uh, Taco Bell itself sent out. Um, so, but this is something they're trying to test and put into action. And you know what? Anything that's going to re- uh, reduce uh, carbon footprint and actually take. Um, you know, something and make it into something new. They're using a company, uh, they're trying to use a company called TerraCycle, which is is renowned for collecting traditionally non-recyclable materials, uh-huh. cleaning them, and then melting them and remolding them into hard plastic that can be used to make new recycled products. So that would mean that they, the restaurants have to separate their the packages, you know, that are out, being, or they have waste. to do... Or they have to do what Nespresso is doing and give you a packet to okay. throw the packets in to then mail someplace to then see. Get I like the, I like the intention. I feel like all fast food restaurants should should have programs like this. Yeah. But the sorting issue. I mean, you know, the recycling. It's going to be thing hard. With the recycling is is it's tough because a lot of this stuff ends up getting thrown in the trash after the recycling plants sort of try to sift through it and they just like. Yeah, like, ah, whatever. And who knows how much of that stuff really is getting recycled. But I think that there needs to be an awareness on the corporate end of a lot of these restaurants that they need to start recycling a lot of their, a lot of the stuff. I mean, yeah, well, uh, let's hope this is the beginning and not just, um, and not just the stunt. I really, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. If Taco Bell can pull it off, I am absolutely here for it. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's nothing more I think to say about it than like have at it, Taco Bell, and let us know. Let us know what we need to do to help and what uh, we need to do and how it works out. Yeah, and, and so, how it uh, works out right for you because yeah. we are here to you know reduce our carbon footprint in any way possible. For sure. And last but not least, Amazon is bringing its palm scanning payment option to Whole Foods. Oh God. Could you imagine? First of all, I didn't. I didn't even know Amazon had a, a hand scan, or it's like what is it? A foot, like a fingerprint? No, thing? it's, it's like, like a, a scan. A scan you, your palm like to Star pay. Trek. Star, yeah, Star like Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> Leave it to Amazon. Um, that's crazy. So now you can go to Whole Foods and put your palm on. What about COVID? Isn't are people concerned? No, it, about it, it would be. Hand? You don't have to put it you know, on. To, it's to, just on over. Okay. Like so, you just do it over, and somehow it scans your palm. And then your palm is attached to payment options and your Amazon account. And then it's... And that's a signature that cannot be... Well, cannot this is be from, frauded or, yeah, you know, copy... Uh, can't be... Uh, apparently not, according to Food & Wine. This technology uses biometric data to let customers pay with a swipe of their hand. Wow. Last September, Amazon launched a new content contactless payment option that allowed customers to pay for items at two of its Amazon ghost stores in Seattle. And okay. it's trying to bring this uh, to and test it out Foods, at, a, at a Whole Foods. Yeah. Okay. I think, That's cool. Um, I'm trying to find it in this article, but it says that palm scanning is like, it's hard. Um, oh, 
So why the palm scan? It's a pretty good body part as far as biometric options go. Palm recognition is considered more private than some biometric alternatives because you can't determine a person's identity by looking at an image of their palm. It also requires someone to make an intentional gesture by holding their palm over the device to use. And it's contactless, which we think customers will appreciate, especially in current times. Hmm. Well, that is that that seems like a great uh, alternative to you know the using your palm. Well, using yeah, you know, (laughs) Um, but you know the phone thing. I I, I, this morning actually, I went to the grocery store and I realized I left my debit card in. I must have left it in a credit card machine in Fort Lauderdale yesterday in a Seven Eleven because that was the last place Mm -hmm. I I went. Or at the Eagle. I didn't actually go to the Eagle, but <laughs> that would have been a better story. Yeah. Uh, no, and so I, I know I was at the grocery store. I'm like, shit, I can't find my card. And fortunately, you know, I have Apple Pay. So, you know, it's sort of the next generation, I guess. I mean, you don't even need your phone. You don't even need, you know, electricity. You can just use your hand and go. You know, it's, that's yeah, cool. it's so crazy. I saw this meme because everyone loves a meme out there about, um, and it was four squares of the Jetsons doing different things. It was like one of George Jetson on like working from home, one of uh, Judy and Elroy getting like a a televideo doctor's visit, one of like learning how to do something uh, via video and something else. And it was like, remember when we thought this was crazy, Uh, (laughs) right? And now now it's all we do. It's Um, so true. So true. So, you know what? Who knows what the future holds, right? Because, I mean, we we didn't expect what was happening over the last year and a half at this point. God, no. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here's to bigger and better. And with that, I think that's a great way to end. Totally. Food news update. <laughs> oh, great I segment. I hope that was a day brightener for you. That was actually. I'm like, can't wait to go text a bunch of people about this like Amazon thing. It's like, yeah, weird. right. Isn't that weird? <laughs> now, yeah. talk to me. I mean, listen. As the bare naked chef, would you prefer to uh, to swipe a different body part? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, for sanitary reasons, probably it wouldn't be uh, the safest. But you know, a palm works. <laughs> well, um, now, I mean, now that you brought it up, talk to me about the bare naked chef of it all and why you felt the need to be naked, all right? And I'm not complaining. And by the by, why aren't you naked now? Um. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I like to throw people off. People always assume that I'm just going to be, you know, you can go on my Instagram and, and see my, you know, my Listen, skin Listen, I had the naked but... nutritionist on a few weeks ago too, or, or more than a month ago. He wasn't naked either. All these naked people out there not being naked, I don't I don't understand. It's, it seems like a fraud, doesn't it? It seems like a whole, a whole ruse. Um, you know, you asked me yeah. a question I get, I get a lot and it's, it's forced me to really sort of think introspectively about it because, you know, it's not just sort of one, one layer of, you know, the obvious it's, uh, you know, I, I did it at a time, you know, I started the project at a time when, uh, I was going through this, uh, kind of catharsis where I finally was you know, I was in my late 30s. I was sort of, you, you, don't, you realize you don't kind of feel like you're growing, grown into yourself until you reach 40. Um, and it was at a point in my life where I was, felt really good about where I was at mentally, emotionally, spiritually. 
Um, and I had nothing to hide. And I, I realized, I mean, I'm going to just kind of bear it all. That was sort of the sort of meta um, meaning behind doing bare naked. But it also represents the kind of food that I make, uh, being, you know, kind of uh, health uh, conscious in that it's all using whole foods. I don't use anything with preservatives, um, naked foods, pretty much things that are in season, sustainable. Um, and then, you know, obviously the naked thing was a gimmick. Um, I'm not going to, you know, be uh, coy about that. That that was something to grab the attention. Of course, what grabs attention better from people, uh, especially the LGBTQ community is, then some skin, you know, turn on your Instagram, open up your Instagram. That's kind of like all you get these days. Um, you know, six years ago, it was sort of uh, a little less in your face, I think, because of the uh, kind of commonality of it. And there was also, you know, a, a, a lack of representation, uh, like, as I mentioned, of um, LGBTQI chefs in this, that sphere. So what better way to sort of give yourself visibility? I really wanted to create, like, it was almost like a tongue-in-cheek uh, project. It wasn't even, I didn't even do it to kind of, like, get famous or 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 kind of, like, I just had this, like, kooky idea where I wanted to do, like, a Food Network-looking show where I'm cooking naked and I'm actually, like, getting to, like, getting people interested in cooking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because a lot of my friends, like, did not, care or or have any inclination to cook anymore it was all about takeout and you know eating out and i mean i grew up we rarely went to restaurants i mean it was all about you know food uh, that was home cooked um and we we did have restaurants that we ate from but um my parents were really big on on you know primarily feeding us food that was home cooked yeah and and it and it also taught us to appreciate and, and love the 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 act of it so I really wanted to kind of share that with people and get people excited about cooking again. And um, and I think it did. I mean, I got an outpouring of, of responses from people when I, when I launched it that uh, they were like, oh, my God, I'm going to try this recipe. I, I don't know how to cook, but, I, you know, you make it look so much easier than I thought it would be. And that was really it, too, was sort of stripping it down, making it look like it's not so intimidating. Yeah, um, it's so interesting that you that you mention um, getting people excited to cook again because it, I relate to it uh, greatly as well because I started my culinary journey uh, back in '09 when um, when I was longing for like shows like the Graham Kerr of it all, you know, like there was a little bit more showmanship as opposed to the Giada De Laurentiis, like very quiet, very beautiful, all <laughs> yeah. of that, all of that, like, and it was like, like naptime get- TV. Yeah, to get people yeah. to get people excited again, right? To to give it a different spin and to and, and to do that. And it's like, you know, when did when did cooking become unexciting? When did it become so laborious? When did it become like this and like so, next level and thing? Cliched, you know? And cliched and sort of like uh, mm-hmm. beneath people. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, yeah, there's great restaurants out there, and thank God for Uber Eats and all that, you know, but. There's nothing like um, preparing and sharing a meal you've made from scratch. And that's why it goes beyond that, right? It goes beyond the meal. It goes, it's not even about the food anymore. It's about convening and having conversations with people, bringing people around the table. And that's why I love actually the the one, you know, this, this 
horrible, horrible pandemic, um, the, the effect it's had on, on my industry, on the food industry, is there's sort of a, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's destroyed uh, the restaurant business, but in turn, it's forced people to learn how to cook for themselves. And these services like Blue Apron and HelloFresh are booming. Their businesses are booming now because people are actually like, well, I'm home for, you know, 16 hours a day. I have nothing else to do. I'm going to cook for my friends and my family. And they do. And they decide that these services are the sort of the next, you know, kind of uh, level up rather than, you know, sort of do it. Also, it saves them from having to go to a grocery store. And yeah. if they're concerned with being, you know, contactless, uh, purchasing that kind of thing. So it really kind of bridges that gap um, for a lot of people where they can just be like, okay, this is, you know, this is now, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to cook a meal. I have all the stuff I need. I'm going to cook. And I'm just, uh, I'm actually happy that, that it's actually come to that because it, that sort of served kind of the intention that I was, uh, that I started my show with. So. Yeah, that were, that you and I are like kind of trying to like mold, and a lot of people out there, Jake Cohen, Grossi Pelosi, <laughs> all these all these people who I have befriended via the podcast, who some whom I've known before or through this, or who I met before the podcast, and now we're coming together is like right. gathering people, and I I think it's a great thing that has come out of this pandemic is you know making a meal and sharing it, and you know or making a meal and being forced. A, being forced to make a meal, right? Because we're stuck inside. And right. then being forced to share it via via Zoom or via FaceTime or via whatever, right? Just because we needed we needed to be together somehow because we weren't allowed Absolutely. to be together, Absolutely. right? And it's a beautiful yeah. thing that has come through this to be like, oh my God, remember that? But now, we can, now we're all vaccinated and the four of us can actually meet and I'm going to make that dish again because it was so good, mm-hmm. you know? You know what I think we should do? It, it, come June is if you should do a a Zoom reunion podcast with all of us that you just mentioned, and we can all prepare a dish together. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk fun? about it. I am here for it. I feel like I can talk to you for hours. And but before we close out, we have to get to the uh, Michelle Obama and the Housewives of it all. Were okay. you naked for Michelle? <laughs> no, no. I was actually Chef Adrian when I worked mm-hmm. for Michelle Obama. Um, although they did know. I mean, her her you know her uh, her chief of staff did the due diligence on me, of course. Well, of course and they, they had they, to. They, they had to. Yeah, and they knew exactly. You know, my gig. Um, my alter ego, if you will, or my sidekick, but um, they were totally cool with it. I mean, that's just goes a testament. That's a testament to how like chill and laid back that administration was, and that that those that first family is, because they did not give a rat's ass about yeah. me. Um, you know, shaking my tail feather out there, <laughs> and yeah, they, um, they were like, "Can he cook? Yes, great. Yeah. Let's well, bring yeah. him on." Yeah, you know, it was it was all about the food, definitely. Yeah, and, for sure. And actually. Uh, her mother came up to uh, Art, my my um, my coworker um, and and good friend, at the last event, and it was in Nashville, and she she was like, uh, "I saw you on Real Housewives, and I love that guy. It was that naked chef that you were working with. Uh, she like she watched the episode and like was like all about it. So, oh my god, how was, crazy are those women? Ah. I mean, gotta love them, right? Gotta love them. I mean, I, I do. I, I have a Dorinda medley. I cooked, I decorated, I made it nice sweatshirt. 
you you and millions of others she, for, can we just talk for a second about the new season is she not on the new season no she she peaced out last season was enough for her right wow. she was going you know the bluestone manor went under a lot of like repar- like repairs yeah, right yeah, and she yeah, lost yeah. a lot of her like dis- uh, like you know her deceased husband's things that she had never dealt with so I think it was too much. And then she started to drink, to cope. Not to say that she has a drinking problem or anything, right? Because I don't know her life like that. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, via the television, this is kind of how it unfolded. And I, I think see. it just, I think she just needed to step away and a break. And she, I, I will definitely miss her because she was just, I she was my kind of gal. Like you know? she, she was sort of like the, you know, becoming the focal point um, of the show. I mean, it was sort of, you know, every every one of the franchises have has their like their queen bee, right? Yeah. I feel like Dor- Dorinda was kind of uh, becoming that. This is a shame. I haven't really kept up. I haven't watched last season, so I don't really know what's going on. But to answer your question, Bluestone Manor is gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. This was pre post post I think post damage reparation, but she ended up doing like a like a whole revamp of the yeah. of the house after that. Um, Dorinda was super sweet, you know, she's a wild child. I mean, uh, just like she is on television. Um, my favorite, because I knew you were going to ask me that, um, uh, was Luann. I love Luann. She's the sober Luann. Um, so, yeah. All right. Good. And you know yeah. what? We support you, Luann, in that way as well. And mm-hmm. what, what are these, what is Tisney, Tinsley Mortimer sliding into your DMs uh, about? Uh, well, um, so I actually am starting to work at a, a restaurant here in uh, Palm Beach, um, in the kitchen here. And, uh, so she, it's a, it's an establishment that was owned, that was previously owned by an owner. And it was like, it's like a, been a staple for Palm Beach and they, um, my cousin and her husband took it over, bought it and revamped the whole thing brought new chefs in, you know, a whole new staff. So they, they've been open for a couple months. And, um, so I, she, she knew she was a patron of the old establishment. So my cousin asked me if I could reach out to her knowing that I was on the show and I met her to see if she, you know, to invite her to come back in just to let her know that the new place was open and that she, you know, she was invited as a guest and they'd give her VIP treatment. Blah, blah, blah. Six months later, like five months later, cause I was, Five months ago, when it opened in November, and she just re- she just replied. I don't know if she was because she was taping or whatnot, but she just been, said, "I'm just seeing this. Um, <laughs> forgive me, but I haven't been in Palm Beach. I've been back. I did come to the bar and have somebody eat, and I absolutely loved it and love what you guys done, but love what they've done with the place. So yeah, that was uh, that was the exchange. But um, so yeah, she's she's back in Palm Beach, and uh, hopefully I'll I'll see her at the restaurant if uh, she comes in again. It's called Cafe Le Europe, is what it's called. So any of you in the Palm Beach area, come see me. Yeah, or uh, if, or if you're taking a vaccinated moment, you know, yeah. out like once we can start traveling, or if you are traveling right safely out there, you know, of course, um, of course, yes, go. Definitely go visit Adrian. Oh my God, this has been amazing. And next time you're in the city or next time I'm down in Florida, we have to come together. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll go eat some seafood down here. I hope you should come down here because I'm sure you're dying to get out of New York. Yes, Um, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I do miss New York a little bit. I got to come up there. Um, I'm dying for soon. a beach though. I'm dying for a beach and uh you know, now I have now I have covid tummy, right? <laughs> Coronavirus. <laughs> Right. Know, right. So like who knows if that speedo fits or not, but I don't care. I will I will let all my juicy bits hang out. I'm <laughs> sure you're gonna get hit on left, right, and center in any case. So you need to you need to get your butt down here and um and we'll definitely yeah, we'll we'll definitely uh palm each it out. Sure. Let the people know where they can find you, right? Because they're going to want to find you. Give them okay. all the social media handles and everything. So uh, I'm just on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Facebook, I'm Adrian Berardini's, uh, The Bare Naked Chef. You can find me that way. Instagram is at The Bare Naked Chef, all one word. Um, Twitter, I believe I am the only B-E-A-R-N-K-D-C-H-E-F. Just Google. A, you know what? Yeah, Google is your friend. Google is yeah, your yeah, friend, yeah. and I will link out the Instagram and all the things as well. Um, you know, in the in the show notes. Uh, big thanks to you again. This, Thank you. This, no, was was, amazing, this was amazing, so and I love that we finally like connected and had a moment together. I am so appreciative of you and your time um, that you've spent with Aww. me and just getting to know you. It's been really, really, really special. Uh, folks out there, um, you know what? Get out there. I'm just going to keep saying it. Get out there. Get vaccinated. Get some sunshine now that the weather's nicer. You know, help your neighbors get vaccinated. You yeah. know, I've been doing the thing as well. Eat healthy, too. Eat healthy. Diet is such a huge, huge uh component with staying healthy you guys and, yeah, you know, mentally get as some well. sunlight yeah. get some sunshine go to the farmer's market get some locally grown what yeah that's been and, that's been a big um you know message of the pod these days too hit up your local farmer's markets yeah. now and and get the good things and get them in you and with that i'm just gonna say thank you for listening to in yo mouth